And here we are, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World for another episode of the podcast that brings you the ins and outs of voice and conversational AI. We find the people in the industry who uh, are really at the top of the game, working on some interesting technology, interesting use cases, and we pick their brains about how they do what they do so that you can do what you do better and you're going to apply this technology and get more value out of it for you and your business. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show today, Mark Bernstein from Balto. Mark, welcome. Welcome to VUX World. Kane, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Your name and company cropped up in our, uh, not our last podcast, but the one before that with uh, Frank <laughs> Schneider from Speakeasy AI. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, he was he was talking about few, the few companies out there that can actually do agent assist uh, properly and well, <laughs> and uh, and Balto cropped up uh, as as an example of that. Oh, that's awesome! And you know, uh, you know I would say you know, we're a five year old company, about four and a half years old, and for the first three years and three quarters, uh, nobody knew who Balto was or what we were building. Um, but we had this uh, secret R&D budget that we've been developing this technology for some time. So it's really nice to hear uh, folks like Frank start uh, bringing up the company. And I feel like uh, it's awesome to be out and you know, uh, exposed to the market and people hearing about us. Nice. And so, so for those that haven't heard about you yet, and for those that haven't really come across Balto in a great load of detail, tell us about yourself uh, and, and about Balto as well, if you don't mind, Mark. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm originally from the, the Washington, D.C. Uh, area in the U.S., and uh, I, I went to St. Louis for school. I did an undergrad at Washington University in St. Louis, uh, studied entrepreneurship, marketing, and psychology, uh, which uh, 10 out of 10 times I would do that same mix again. Absolutely mm -hmm. loved it. And uh, when I graduated school, I asked one of my advisors, um, I asked, I want to start a uh, market leading company one day. I have no idea what field or, or what I want to do, but I want to start something really impactful. Uh, what should I learn? And he said, well, I think you should probably learn sales because you're either selling to uh, bring new customers in the door, because especially if you're starting a company early on, it's you. You can't just hire a salesperson and say, you go do the selling. Um, or you're you know, doing sales to bring talent in the door uh, because uh, talented people want to work with folks who have passion and excitement for what they're doing and can communicate a vision. Or you're selling to bring financing in the door, make sure the company's properly funded. Uh, so I went into a, a, career, a career in B2B tech sales at a couple SaaS companies here in St. Louis. And when I was in sales, I had this experience where I would go into the manager's office for coaching. Um, and the manager would pull up the call recording and we'd talk through it and give me a bunch of really good advice. All the sort of stuff that you're used to hearing. Don't talk too much. Ask good questions. If they ask about price, first make sure they like the product. Don't just say, okay, sure, here's the price. All that kind of stuff. And the, the insight that, that started Balto that, that I experienced was I left his office for coaching. I went to my next call like right after. Uh, finished the call, humped the phone, and said, I just applied none of the things I just learned. None of it. I didn't do the pricing. I didn't do the questions. I didn't do the, what happened here? And the realization is that there is a gap between knowing what you should do on a call, what the right thing is to do on a call, and actually doing it in the moment you need to do it live while you're talking to the customer. And everyone is focused on generating new insights because that's kind of the, the flashy, sexy thing. And there's a lot you can get from new insights. Um, but what we say at Balto is you actually have an insight backlog. You have all these insights that you've discovered that somebody has done some awesome analysis. And then you have, you know, in, in our world, uh, you know, 500 or 1,000 contact center agents that you're saying, if everyone just did this thing, man, revenues would go up or our calls would be more efficient. So we realize that there's a real opportunity when you're touching the conversation, you're touching the customer, and you're touching the money, uh, rather than trying to fix the problem after the fact. Interesting. And so, what's that? So that's obviously where Bolto came from. But for someone who hasn't come across Bolto, then what's the connection between that and what Bolto does? Yeah. So we invented uh, real-time guidance. And it's an AI that analyzes everything that a customer says on a call as they're actually saying it. 
everything that a sales or customer service agent is saying on a call as they're saying it and in real time is giving them recommendations on their screen for how they can be as effective as possible. So we call it real-time guidance. Uh, the industry has definitely added on a whole bunch of names. You hear you know, real-time agent assist. Uh, I've heard uh, real-time conversation intelligence, but, but we call it you know, real-time guidance, helping the sales or customer service person in the moment that they need help on every single call. Interesting. And so you have education in uh, entrepreneurship, psychology, I think you said, you then went into sales. You're doing sales for quite a while. You get this idea. All of this requires cutting edge NLP technologies, voice AI capabilities. Where did you start from there? Because I'm assuming you don't have a computer science background as well as, as all of that other stuff. So how did you how did you go about turning taking steps to make that idea something practical and tangible? Yeah, you're exactly right. So um the first task of the company was recruit someone with NLP, NLU, and ASR experience. Um, and actually, it, it so happens um, that sometimes in this world, you get very, very lucky. And sometimes you work hard and achieve it for yourself. In that case, we got lucky. It just so happens my like longest childhood friend, know each other since six years old, um, is a uh, bona fide expert in ASR, um, NLP, um, and, you know, grew up, um, his dad was an audio engineer. Um, so he grew up around, uh, all these different speech recognition devices and different recording and audio routing technologies. Um, and then, uh, ended up going into the workforce, uh, doing engineering and he did, uh, AI projects, uh, with DARPA, um, which is the, uh, essentially big, uh, advanced defense agency here in the U S that does like these big experimental projects, um, so he, he did a bunch of projects uh, as a contractor with DARPA and uh, was looking for something he could do full time. So he is the NLP uh, ASR um, you know, expert um, and uh, has continued to recruit people who are better than him. So we just brought on you know, two new uh, folks on NLP last week and we have uh, an advisor from uh, University of Georgia um, for the ASR side. They have a phenomenal speech program. So we've been able to recruit uh, some awesome uh, talent out of uh, you know University of Georgia and awesome talent out of John Hopkins, um, but you know I'm certainly not the brains on the NLP uh, NLU ASR side of Balto. Interesting. So, so you've been working under the radar, as you said, for for a number of years, trying to get presumably the technology as well as this concept of the, what what the business is and trying to find out how that product itself is going to come about and, and go to market and all that kind of stuff um but you do have if you've rewind five years ago a massive problem to solve uh because oh, not going on, i must have pressed the space bar there uh, a massive problem to solve because you're not dealing with just simply recognizing a, a straightforward intent as most of the larger companies five years ago, I mean, they, they had gotten pretty good at it. it. Alexa was already out there. You know, Siri was already out there. Google Now was in existence. And so th they all have technologies that are fairly sophisticated, but they all are all pretty much just trying to grab hold of a sentence, you know, turn that speech into text, just take that one sentence and try and derive an intent from it largely. Um, so you've got a pretty big task on your hand if you rewind five years ago and i appreciate you're saying that your kind of expertise isn't in the nlu kind of side of things but i wonder if you can just walk us through to give people a bit of context about why you were under the radar for so much and talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you had to overcome and some of the things that you faced during that kind of process of trying to get this agent assist or, or real-time guidance thing yeah uh, off the ground Absolutely. And, and Kane, I, I think that we're both uh, seeing a, a, a similar observation, which is that, you know, when real-time guidance uh, was first uh, coming about in the market and it was invented, um, it is really hard to get a good ROI from real-time guidance unless that is what you do and you've done it many times. And the simple reason is that there is a technology side there is the speech to text, which 
needs to be accurate and across you know, many different industries or verticals, unless you're saying particularly focused on one vertical and companies that would do that would find that their market would be shrunk enough that they can't recruit top talent and can't grow uh, as fast as they might like and can't attract potential acquirers or be at a scale of, of being an IPO scale company. So you can't really stay focused on one vertical. So you need an ASR model that's applicable across verticals, different industry lingos. You need to be able to make that model better and better over time where customers can add custom words to your dictionary. So, you know, if your company name is Zingly.io, uh, you know, you need to make sure that the, the speech recognition can recognize Zingly.io every time. Um, so there's a speech challenge there. And of course, you're also doing it, um, it with near zero latency. Um, and also having to think about the processing power. Do you do it locally on the machine? Uh, what happens if you're working with folks in, uh, you know, sometimes like developing countries and offshore and, and nearshore environments who often have machines that are a little bit less powered? Um, you know, so what are you going to do there? Um, or do you do it in the cloud? It seems like everything's happened in the cloud. Um, so those are the sort of decisions you have to make on the ASR side. Then you have to do the intent recognition on the NLP, NLU side and say, you know, out of the string of text, what exactly is happening and be able to apply a second layer of accurate understanding, first being the, you know, the transcript, the second being what the transcript means. So it's essentially two different points where you can hit a false positive or a false negative. And then once you find that intent, you got to make a recommendation to the user. And I think that one of the mistakes that folks in the agent assist space said uh, which Balta calls the real-time guidance space, is they said, we made the recommendation to the user, we're done, we did it. And But what they forgot is, wait a minute, when you make the recommendation to the user, they need to take it. The user needs to have a recommendation that they go, oh, that helps me right now in the moment of my call. And they need to use it. And when they use it, it needs to work. So you know the tech side, that first side, is just one piece of it. The user experience side of how do you deploy this at scale to help a company get a real return on their investment, that's the second piece of it. And I think a lot of companies thought, oh, if we just do part one, you know, the tech side, then uh, we've invented you know, real-time guidance and we're good to go. And you know, what we had to do, uh, and it probably took us two and a half years until we had it click and then another year until it was click, it, we cl it clicked and scalable. So I'd say three and a half years of figuring out not just what do you need to do to technologically deliver a recommendation to a user in real time with you know, under 100 millisecond latency on the audio stream processing and under two second latency on the full end to end process. You know, how do you do that technologically? But then how do you deliver recommendations that users love, that they take, and then actually make their calls better? And that's the big challenge, and that's why, you know, in the beginning, it, we're spending more time on R&D and more time uh, figuring out the nuances of the real-time guidance experience. And now uh, we're spending more time on go-to-market now that we've found a formula. Interesting. And when you say users there, you're talking specifically not about the person calling into a company. You're talking about the person sitting there on the call using the Boltor software. Yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. But that, that's another important distinction, though, is, you know, especially with when folks come from the post-call analytics world, their user is primarily the manager or the executive. Like that is who is using that technology, and, and they're the owners of that technology, if you will. Our user, our absolute end user, is the agent. Why? Because if Balta does a good job, different words will come out of your mouth as the agent if we did a good job. Um, so you need a very intimate relationship with, with that user. And then we say, we, we go level up and say, you know, different managers and directors and executives, uh, we're now gonna give you a report on how behavior is changing across your organization. What are the things that people were saying before? What are they saying now? How is it shifting? And what is the specific effectiveness of every single part of your conversations? But you can't provide that second layer of analytics until you provide the first part. So we, we serve the agent, and then with serving the agent and supercharging the agent, then say, how can we provide full visibility to the managers so there's this cultural alignment 
between the experience that agents are having and the experience that managers want their agents to be having. Interesting. And there's there's a few a few different ways that I, that I want to go with this. One is on the um, we'll stay with this one because the other one is about you were talking about starting not starting with industry specific stuff. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. But first, what in, in terms of the um, agent experience side of things, we spoke before before there around how um, how difficult it is to implement agent assist um, because of the fact that one call ex- consists of two people, mm-hmm. and so. You can listen to the user um, to try and understand what it is that they want, make that recommendation to the agent. But are you also listening into the agent's conversation to try and see whether or not they are actively taking and recommending the recommendations that it's given? I'm wondering whether you can speak to whether or not you're just taking the, the signal from the end user, the caller, or whether you're also looking at the audio and the speech coming back from the agent and how all of that kind of works together. Yeah, both sides, and it's absolutely critical we do that because then it, everything becomes an interplay. It's a coupling of events, and you, know, you have a coupling of events that then becomes a chain of events. So you can say, customer said this, agent responded this way. What percent of the time does that, that path, this customer request, this agent response lead to a successful call outcome? And then, of course, you can chain it and say, okay, when the the agent then says that response, how do customers typically respond? And you start to develop a tree diagram there. So, um, you know, having both sides of the conversation being analyzed is absolutely crucial. And we actually give the agents the ability to vote um, on what recommendations they find most helpful and not. So, you know, agents can vote thumbs up and thumbs down on any single recommendation that Balto gives them. So we're measuring, you know, the agent's votes and uh, to essentially determine uh, how effective a recommendation is. We're measuring agent usage, uh, what parts of the recommendation are they using and how often they're using it. And we're measuring the success rate. So when an agent uses any of these recommendations, what percent of the time does it lead to an ultimately successful call outcome? And we're saying what percent of the time does it lead to a successful call outcome versus if they didn't use any of the recommendations at all. So you can imagine a world where, you know, uh, a customer calls in and is frustrated and option A is, um, well, that's too bad. Option B, the Balto recommends is tough luck and option C is hang up. And those, you know, uh, win rates are going to be, or success rates is going to be about zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can compare, you know, uh, tough luck, too bad, hang up, versus none of the recommendations used. So you're able to see at any given moment the things that you're suggesting that your agents do are the things actually more effective than the things that agents are already doing. If yes, beautiful. Your move as an organization is get everyone doing the things that you are statistically showing are more effective. If no, then the move is, well, let's go to the agents to see what they're doing. Let's take the things they're doing that aren't here in these recommendations and uh, you know, take their voice and their thoughts and put them into the playbook. So that ecosystem of creating content, of you know, delivering a recommendation to the agent, looking and seeing how it's used, um, and then based on the data, iterating those recommendations is an incredibly important part of the loop that you need for real-time guidance to be successful. You can't just pop agents a recommendation when someone says discount and hope that that's enough. Mm. And, and, in, and the, the successful call outcomes you're referring to, is that something that the agent will be recording themselves in their system that they're already using, their contact center system? Or are you using things, I don't know, for arguments, something like sentiment analysis on the customer side to try and measure things like, well, this sounds like it was a positive call. Uh, how, how are you kind of measuring that? call outcome and then attributing it back to the Balto recommendation? Yep. The answer is that that latter version of uh, you know, measuring um, the different words and phrases that surround a successful call outcome, um, we do that for every single call. So that means inside of Balto, you have a totally closed loop between the recommendations Balto is giving and the outcome of the call. That being said, you know anything... Um, you know, where you're applying a machine to try to judge if it's successful or not, in that particular instance, is not going to be as rigorous as, say, your CRM data. 
So, you, so it's going to get it right around 90% of the time or so for that particular measure. Um, and uh, so we say, hey, if you're good enough with around 90% to be able to see directionally how everything is going, perfect. If not, we actually have an API where you can have your outcomes from your CRM data pipelined in. And folks who elect to do that, um, it's a really powerful thing because then you can iterate over time and get that 90 better and better and better. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And, and you spoke about how you wanted Baltor to be a gen general enough for it to be able to scale. Um, but the other way of looking at it, and some other companies have kind of tried this uh, in the past, I'm thinking about, you know, a company like Voices that before it was acquired by Apple, who really wanted to focus just on retail. Uh, so the, the language models that they were building were very much around product search. They got very good at extracting entities out of those kind of product search sort of phrases. And so some companies have gone with the approach of let's try and solve for a domain and then let's kind of move out and expand from there. But you approached it from the beginning of we need to be kind of high and wide, a little bit like I would describe Amazon, Google, IBM, those kind of speech systems whereby they need to be able to handle a whole manner of things. It might mean that actually they mm -hmm. might struggle in, in very niche and specific things, um, but they're, they're generally speaking better at kind of the high and wide kind of catch all, you know, say anything to it and we'll try and understand it. So I'm just mm -hmm. wondering why, uh, what your approach was to, to, to start out trying to do that generalized approach as opposed to focusing maybe on a, on a specific vertical like insurance or banking or something like that. Yeah, so I'll start very high level and then kind of you know, zoom in. At the highest level, the way that technology companies are growing nowadays is this massive, rapid, like you know, blitzkrieg, if you will, to get market share. Um, and the go-to-market that these companies are doing, just look at any of the recent financing rounds that we've been seeing in tech, are phenomenally aggressive. So if you stay vertical focused, um, you have to be comfortable that that's the only vertical you may ever have. Um, and uh, for a lot of spaces, a lot of verticals, there's a big enough opportunity there that that's worth it. So uh, you know, even choosing retail, then the question is how do you define retail? Do you define any of this direct-to-consumer online e-commerce as retail? You could say it's another generation of retail. Does it need to be brick and mortar? Hopefully not. Your business wouldn't be very well positioned to be a purely brick and mortar retail operation right now in 2021. Um, so, you know, so the way that that big tech companies go to market is that you know they um, end up going very fast. So uh, you need to be comfortable if you stay on a specific vertical that, that there's another company that might swoop in and provide an application that isn't as good in your vertical, where you're probably going to win the lion's share of the verticals uh, of your vertical, but they might win everything else. And if they win everything else, then there's this gravitational pull where they've been winning 80% of the deals. And when you know, people in your vertical ask their friends in other verticals, what are you using? That name will come up again and again and again. And slowly you can see your grip in that vertical um, you know, start to uh, falter. Mm -hmm. so, so that's just you know, strategically what the landscape looks like. So I think that's true. But I also think that one of the really important things to be thinking about with the go-to-market and any sort of ASR or NLP technology is the more you do concentrate in a vertical, the better it gets. It's a noticeable difference in your experience. So what we've tried to find is almost like the 80-20 rule. And how can we build up customer concentrations in specific verticals that we think are, are particularly promising, build up a concentration enough that we have a robust data set for our speech training, enough that we have a robust data set for our you know, intent training, and then say, perfect, we now have these customers doing this many millions of calls. Let's continue to sell in that vertical, but also go tackle another one. Mm. So I think the idea of going vertical to vertical is right, but I, I might challenge tech companies that are, that are you know, taking that approach to move on to the next vertical a little bit faster than they might think, so long as you've built a groundswell in that first vertical. So that's what we've done. You know, we started uh, actually very specifically with home improvement. Uh, we have a big you know, customer base in, in, in home improvement. Um, and then we expanded just a little bit um, you know, to uh, debt collections of all places, because it's like a make or break interaction where if it goes well, you have a good 
you know, soothing customer interaction and it's compliant and legal and you didn't do anything bad, if it doesn't go well, you're actually getting sued. Like what a, a crazy fork, you know, in debt collections conversations. And then we said, huh, debt collections, that's starting, you know, high regulatory. Uh, the money is on the line. Um, it's a make or break conversation. It's business to consumer. Seems like financial services and insurance would be a good place to branch off from there. So that's how we started approaching verticals. And then now, of course, we've mapped out over the next couple of years, what are the verticals we want to continue to push into? Um, and I, you know, one of the ones we were going to push into was hospitality and travel. I mean, that vertical now is, is, is booming or about to be booming. Um, that vertical has a, the customer lifetime value is tremendous. You might spend tens of thousands of dollars as a loyal hospitality customer of a particular hotel chain or of an airline. Um, very meaningful. Um, you know, and then of course, right before COVID, those budgets got cut and they were focused on, on other things, but we're now starting to push into the travel and hospitality vertical as well. So, uh, so I, I, that's kind of what I would say. And I'd recommend to folks is, you know, do it vertical by vertical, build up a concentration, but move on slightly before you're comfortable. So long as you have a groundswell in that vertical, that's been broadly how we've been approaching it. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I can, I can see you potentially, I mean, I know of a couple of companies who won't name names, but I know of a few companies that are very much honing in on a, on very specific verticals and providing, you know, platforms for, for more of the front end of the conversational AI side, automating the calls and chats with customers and stuff like that. Um, and I can see, I can see what you're saying there in terms of, you know, compare that to something like Google, Google's approach with contact center AI and, and mm -hmm. Amazon's approach potentially with Lex and stuff like that. And already, I mean, you could even, you could even say the same thing about your likes of um, on the contact center side, Amazon connect, you know, it's, it's like enough verticals of kind of, picking it up and all of a sudden there's this kind of like huge buzz around it and now everyone's mm -hmm. you know just kind of drifting towards that but it's interesting so so we've got um tian hawkins is agreeing with you uh wholeheartedly there and uh also asks a question are you using any multilingual conversational ai data so bolto are you focusing specifically on 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 the english language a group of languages how are you approaching the multilingual side of uh of contact centers yeah, uh, Tiaren, thanks for the, the question. Um, so the answer is right now it is only English. I know uh, we need to be multilingual. We're actually pushing for it. It's on the roadmap and coming very soon. Uh, we took the first step, like a really like a pinky toe in the water. Um, and we created what we call Spanish bifurcation, which is essentially recognizing if a call is in English or in Spanish. And if it's in Spanish, um, you know, filtering it into a different data set. So it's not trying to transcribe a Spanish call in English. Mm -hmm. So we've built that as our, as our first step. Um, and you know, our, our AL, our ASR, um, is totally in house. You know, we started with open source libraries and have customized it for years and, uh, now it's, you know, an in-house model. Um, so the question is when we add on Spanish and then French and then German and then Portuguese and then Arabic and then all the other languages that we're going to add on as we go global, um, do we continue to do all of that in-house or do we partner with somebody uh, like Nuance? And I think that there's compelling, um, there's compelling reasons on, on both sides of that, but um, that's one of the reasons you do partner with folks like Nuance is that uh, the ability to, to deploy 10 languages um, at the speed that it took you to develop one um, is, is, is a lot more feasible with, with a partner like them. So yeah. we're, we're going to be looking at those sort of options, but right now it is uh, totally in English. Or Microsoft, as uh, as Nuance either now is or will very soon be. Um, but yeah, uh, understand. So... Right. so um, it's interesting. Can you, so you were talking about going from one vertical to, vertical to another. You were talking about potentially hospitality being interesting. I'm wondering if if we can have a look at some of the verticals that you think are um, kind of ripe for this stuff. Likely you've got a bunch of customers in some of those verticals. Mm -hmm. And then also maybe give us a bit of a flavor for like a practical example of it in situ, like like, a, like an example of a of a because I know that you've got some pretty good demos. You've showed me a, a very good demo. I just I wonder whether we can bring some of that sort of stuff to life as well. So firstly, what kind of verticals are utilizing this technology? And then can you give us a flavor for the specific kind of 
you know, a, a call, a role-played call for argument's sake to demonstrate how Balto kind of features in that mix? Yep, yep. I, I love that question because I think it's all kind of one of the same. Um, I'll, I'll start high level again. Um, we are seeing in sales and customer care that um, more of the you know, back and forth voice conversations that companies are having are touching the revenue of the organization. Why? Well, first, you know, a lot of organizations are switching to recurring and subscription models. So, you know, whereas uh, the chance that you were talking to a repeat customer before was, you know, where repeat customers were only this portion of your revenue. Now, as you have, everyone's recurring repeat customers are this portion of your revenue. So, um, you know, a lot of growing the business now is uh, retaining and upselling uh, and delighting customers and then mobilizing your excited customers in order to be able to uh, bring on others and, and build loyal champions for your brand. So, so that means we want to ask, you know, what sort of organizations um, have their sales team and their customer care team influencing revenue as much as humanly possible? And, and the thing is, you know, with, you know, uh, you know real-time guidance, um, it is an, a force of agent augmentation. It is helping supercharge agents, helping them be better. It is not a form of agent replacement. So you're going to get some level of efficiency if you supercharge people and give them knowledge faster and help them prevent holds. Like they're going to be faster and they're going to be more efficient. And that's absolutely true. Um, but what you're also doing is you're, it's less of a cost cutting sort of mindset and more of a how do we take this conversation we're having with the customer and make it whatever its maximum opportunity is. Um, and that's one of the things that we think is that, you know, a lot of customer conversations, imagine if you walked into an Apple store and you walk in the Apple store and the Apple genius is right there and they just shoo you out the, out the store as quickly as possible. <laughs> like that's what's kind of used to be happening in the contact center. Um, so, uh, and that clearly is not going to be a sustainable way of building a good revenue base. So uh, we look for folks where, you know, the customer conversations you're having directly influence the top line of the organization. Very practically, that's been, uh, you know, it, verticals like insurance. Um, you know, if you're talking to an insurance agent, it's a little bit of a complex sale, but it's usually a one call interaction. You're not doing five or 10 calls to ask about another thing and ask about another thing. Usually you get all the info you need in that one call. And if the agent gave you a good policy at a good rate, you don't really need to go call somebody else. You say, that's what I wanted. Thank you. I want to buy that policy and move on. Um, and if you do that, that's a thousand dollars usually uh, per year, or you know, especially in lifetime value, that that customer, that that organization is capturing, that that, that customer is exchanging. So, where is there a lot of revenue um, or lifetime value being exchanged in a very small amount of time at a high volume? Uh, where there's a lot of these make or break moments where if it goes well and you do a good job, there's dollars in the bank. If you don't, it's a compliance problem or a legal problem or a frustrated customer that's then going to go be a detractor out in the world. Um, so insurance is a great example of that. Financial services is a great example of that, especially uh, you know, with the compliance uh, disclosures that must be given and that can't be given. Um, and also uh, the the fact that it's much more of a consultative relationship, so you want that person to be giving you advice, and the quality of their advice dictates uh, how you feel about your experience. Um, so we think financial services is a great is a great vertical. We both have an awesome customer base there, and then uh, what we call direct to consumer retail. You know, picture anything that you buy online um, that is a thousand dollars or more, and that could be a you know subscription for your family. It could be um, a Peloton. I would love to win Peloton as a customer. You know, it's like a $2,000 bike that also has a subscription recurring software component to it. And, you know, also, you know, Peloton has had a lot of news about, you know, recalls and things like that, that are very sensitive and difficult to handle, but they have such a great product that if they're able to handle it effectively, you know, they can retain a lot of customers, prevent returns and cancellations, um, you know, and of course, you know, find ways to boost top line and, and say, well, the next Peloton V.3 is coming out or, or whatever they want to do. 
So you can picture a lot of folks like that that have those sort of arrangements. And the last thing I'll say on, on direct-to-consumer retail and our verticals broadly is um, that more and more of the things that we're purchasing, we're now able to finance. Like finance has gotten very creative. So think about when you go on Amazon and it says, uh, you know, you're buying, you know, um, a, let's say you're buying a new um, pair of headphones, like one of those really high quality headphones like Beats or um, Bose or something. Often there's an option that says, do you want to pay for this? And, you know, 18 monthly payments of, of you know, $12.99. Uh, and we're seeing those sort of models everywhere. Well, a lot of times that requires an extra level of complexity and of servicing um, where uh, you might need to talk to someone in order to figure out exactly what you're signing up for. So folks who have that sort of scenario tend to be a good fit as well. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that tra transitions came to the use cases, um, which is... Before, before yeah, well, we're going yeah, we'll, we'll to that, but I think what, what I'd like to point out there is what, what I found interesting about that is usually when we ask a question about you know what kind of verticals are you having success in and all that kind of stuff and why is that vertical right for this kind of use cases it was interesting there how you didn't say well insurance is service based and uh, you know banking service based so anywhere where there's that level of service i think you you approached it from well let's have a look for places that are dealing with important the most important matter which is the generation of revenue or the keeping hold of revenue mm -hmm. and then the thought process was let's just try and find those types of companies and products and regardless of what industry they happen to be in it wasn't an industry up kind of strategy it was like let's try and find the right product that's got the right type of conversations happening and it just so happens that insurance has has those conversations it just so happens that consumer retail tends to have those those type of products so I just thought to point out that I found it interesting there how you weren't just going to service-based verticals. You were actually looking for very specific types of conversations, very specific types of product types, and mm -hmm. then that was the entrant. It was a, it's a it's a very unique way of of approaching things that I've never never come across before. Kane, great observation. I, I think uh, you know we our value proposition fundamentally is Balto scales excellent conversations to your entire organization with the push of a button. So we actually didn't start with the level of, you know, service-based or, um, you know, what particular products or, or things are they selling? We said, where are excellent conversations the most important? And that's where we, where we started from in choosing verticals. So I, I love that observation. I think it's spot on. Mm, interesting. So, so let's, let's stick with the Peloton uh example then hope may maybe someone at peloton might be uh listening in either now or at some point in the future and if they are to to bring bolto to life a little bit and to give mm -hmm. us a real flavor for what it is like for an, an agent sitting on a call using bolto you know if we take a typical um conversation and we could make up a use case around somebody is calling because they have heard about peloton and mm -hmm. they're now interested in um you know Either either procuring a bike and starting a service, or maybe they've got the mm -hmm. service they want to cancel something like that. I'm assuming you've got new customers versus retention based conversations happening. I wonder if you can give us an example of the role that Balto plays in that conversation and how it how it actually works from the agent perspective. Absolutely. So um, I'll start with you know a real example you know uh, with Peloton and you know just for everyone, I'm I'm a huge admirer of the company. My dad actually is is an avid runner and he ran for 30 years in a gym and when the pandemic hit he uh said i don't feel comfortable going to the gym anymore i can't do it so he went home and he said what am i going to do my ceilings in my house are are too low that i can't actually you know get a treadmill in there because i'll hit my head i need something smaller so why don't i get a bike and he looks for a bike and he gets a peloton and uh he is just a diehard fan uh, and I, I never thought that uh, anything could replace running for him, and you know, Peloton did it. So I just uh, that that brand has a lot uh, meaning to to me personally. Watching my dad, who's you know in his late seventies, stay fit um, because of of their technology. Um, but you can imagine that you know they, they've had all this recall stuff, um, fair or not fair. It's you know, everyone has an opinion on it, but they've all this recall stuff where people are saying it's a safety hazard, and I have to imagine that right after that hit, call volume spiked. 
with people asking a bunch of safety questions or people asking you saying I want to return or people asking when's the recall coming out is there a recall what's happening and those are our make or break conversations where one your folks need to be immediately educated two a classroom training where you bring everyone together and say, all right, here's what we're going to do for the conversation. We do this, this, and this break um, doesn't have enough staying power. It's also highly inefficient to do a classroom training because you're pulling everyone off the phones and sitting there and teaching everyone and then putting them back on the phones. Uh, what happens if things change again the next day or the next week? How are you going to adapt then? Um, so what we realized is that you know, those sort of situations, um, the customer lifetime is on the line. And you know a very expensive return might happen. And what Balto will do is it'll hear that customer inquiry. The customer will say, you know, um, I'd like to, you know, I've, I'm concerned about your safety. And Balto will hear that and automatically pop up different talking points right there for the agent. Not just like a link to product information where they go and dig through knowledge-based articles on product safety, <laughs> but like the actual way to communicate that very complex and sensitive information to the customer. Um, and imagine if every single you know, agent at Peloton started with, hey, I'm so sorry to hear that. If I could start by asking, what have you heard? Just to get a baseline, mm, mm. right? But what's gonna happen is people are gonna get nervous and they're gonna gather training and go, our product safety is number one. And while it certainly is, is disappointing that we, you know, like that, that's how people like start those sort of things. Um, so we think that organizations can do better. If you're able to have different talking points pop up for product safety, different talking points for you know, recall and return policy, different talking points for the next version of Peloton that's coming up, and actually I can take a pre-order with you right now if you'd like. You know, all of those sort of things popping up right there in the moment are the fork. That's you know, happy customer dollars in the bank or return frustrated customer who felt like you were dancing around the question and didn't really answer it right. And we want to bring as many people over to that first side as possible. Interesting. Now, one of the challenges of, of a conversation like that, because I've made a few of them today, by the way, um, and this kind of is demonstrating of how calls actually go. So we're moving. We've already moved, sold our house, moved 300 mile up north, hadn't quite decided where we're going to live yet. Uh, like the look of Harrogate, found a house to rent in Harrogate. We don't want to buy because we don't know where we want to be. Rented the house, went down last Saturday, just gone to sign a tenancy agreement, opened the front door, the whole place was flooded. Right, Ooh. whole house is flooded. So obviously we're not moving there. Uh, but in the meantime, I'd booked a removal van and, uh, and, and two hotels for my dad, me and my dad, going driving down and all that kind of stuff to take our stuff out of storage in Kent. So my phone call today to the removal place, we've managed to find another uh, another house to rent, which we're moving in on Saturday, but I'd already cancelled the van, right? Are you all still with me? I had a van booked, I cancelled it, and the day after, I wanted to rebook it again. So my phone call began like this. They answered the phone, said, hello, van hire, whatever it was, and I said, Right, I had a booking on Friday and I ended up cancelling it because, and then I went through this big story and said, I had a place to rent. It's now not happening. Uh, now we found another place to rent. So I just want to reinstate the booking for Friday. Now, that's probably going to be me talking for 30 seconds. And if I was just to say something to, I don't know, Alexa or Google Assistant or call an automated agent on a contact center and I ramble for 30 seconds, it's going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't quite get that. Mm. <laughs> so, how is it that Balto is able to follow long-winded conversations like that that have an in, there's an intent in there somewhere, but finding out what it is 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 increasingly challenging. Are you using intent? Is how are you approaching that side of things? Absolutely. Um, so there's really two pieces to it. Uh, you know, the first is how are we picking up what is happening effectively, especially in a complex scenario, and then the second piece is. How do we pair that with effective recommendations right there for the user that aren't like generic recommendations that wouldn't do you any good in that particular scenario? So the first part of how we're picking it up, Balta will actually stack recommendations. So it'll make a first recommendation, and as you go on, it'll continue to listen and then put another one on top of it and say, oh, it seems like this is actually the thing that might be most relevant right now. Do you want to go into that? And if the conversation proceeds and that topic isn't coming up anymore, that one will drop off. 
Um, so it's almost like a battle royale, a survival of the fittest. At the end of your 30 seconds, whichever recommendation um, is the one that was most prevalent in that particular you know, utterance will be the primary one. And then whichever one um, is uh, the second best guess will be the secondary one. Primary one is right there for the user. They don't need to you know, click anything. They can just you know, go right into it. And the other one, the user can click and select and say, ah, I recognize that this was a cancellation at the start, but now it's really a rebooking. So I'm going to click rebooking and there's my talking points right there. So, um, you know, we, I think that's a big rule of real-time guidance. It's a very important rule is uh, you need to find areas where the person can help the machine too. <laughs> like mm. the machine is helping the person, but the person is helping the machine. It's a symbiotic relationship. Um, and you define areas where the person can be a human in the loop and uh, guide the AI and say, ah, actually, that's the best option or, or that's the right idea. Um, and then, then, of course, if you're you know, soliciting that feedback from your users, then you're able to make your models better and better over time. So that's how we do the, uh, the, the recognition side. And then you know, how, on the side of providing content, it, it's the same philosophy of give your users autonomy and give your users options. If you just put up one blank paragraph, that's like, I certainly understand how you feel and would be happy to help you rebook. Like, you're going to miss it. You kind of need to give them options and say, hey, here's a few different things we picked up on this call. Choose whichever options you feel like are relevant in this minute. Um, and that's one of the things that we realized you know, early on is you can't just pop a paragraph up. If you just pop a paragraph up, in uh, most of the time, it's going to be slightly off. But if you, you know, break the paragraph into a handful of key concepts, and each concept essentially takes the user in a direction on the call, then the user is able to make a choice and say, that's the most relevant thing for this conversation. I'm going to use that option and proceed in that direction. So we got to do those two things and make sure that we're giving the user the ability to train the AI, not just the other way around. Mm, interesting. Well, I'd like to get into that as well um, in a bit. It sounds as though two things from what you explained. One, it sounds as though the the NLU set component is just working in real time. So you're not waiting for the utterance to finish and then processing as the vast majority of systems do. Correct. Um, and then the second thing around them, hints and recommendations and in, in, in the demos that I've seen, they're actually quite uh, clever in the way that they leave things open to the call handler to put things in their own words so correct me if i'm wrong but from what i've seen there's things like um you know ask ask them if they made last month's payment or something like that like it, it doesn't actually say hey sir did you make last month's payment okay or are you experiencing financial it just mm -hmm. it's little bullet points that you can just scan and think okay i need to ask and then the the agent can then just put things in their own words is that, is that am i understanding that right uh very close um you're understanding right that uh, it's important to design clever ways to give the agent flexibility. However, one of the rules that we realized is you actually don't want to tell the agent what to do. You want to give them something that they can say. And the reason is that if you tell the agent what to do, they have to read what to do, then process in their own words, okay, wait, hold on, so what should I say in relation to the thing I just read, and then say it out. And often by the time that they've done that sort of cognitive load, uh, the conversation has progressed and they go, ah, it's not worth it. So you need to give the agent things that they could actually say to the user, but you also need to design your algorithms to be flexible enough and sensitive enough that if they use their own words, it's okay. So in that example, uh, Kane, that, that you gave about, um, you, know, did you, uh, you know, did you pay your bill today? I'll just start there. Mm -hmm. um, well, you can realize very clearly the intent of pay your bill. Like that's kind of obvious. So we should be able to figure out any variations on did you pay your bill today? Did you take care of your bill today? Did you pay your bill? Did, your, uh, did you make a payment on that bill? All of those different versions should be captured by the NLU. And that level of sensitivity we think is really important to provide the user so they're able to mix it up just a little bit, not be script readers, not be robots, but at the same time, they have a quick, easy uh, thing that they can go to that they feel stuck. They can go, uh, did you pay your bill today? And they have mm -hmm. something that allows them to move the conversation forward. Interesting. Interesting. And um, 
we took we spoke you've hinted at some of the kind of human in the loop human and ai working together sort of concept which is um obviously key for agent assist because there's nobody else there <laughs> so there's no one there to to give it feedback and there's no kind of like person overseeing it and training it and stuff like that and so capturing that feedback at the moment that it's needed i'm assuming is quite important i'm wondering whether you can shed a bit of light on how you approach that because you know, some contact center agents have about 10 different systems to deal with. Mm-hmm. They've, they've got notes to make and wrap up codes to put in and, and all of these different things to do. Um, training an AI uh, at the same time is doing all of the other stuff that they have to do. I can imagine from an agent perspective, it's like, oh, well, I've got another system that I need to do something with. And mm-hmm. so, and then you can imagine that some systems, for example, would actually, not that they would publish it, but they allow agents to type in for example, what should have been a correct answer for argument's mm-hmm. sake. And now that won't necessarily be fed back into it and made live. It might go to someone to have a look through and vet or whatever. But point being, the agent needs to type in something, think about things and stuff like that. Other things might have more of a click kind of approach, yes or no. I'm just wondering whether, in general, how you approach this whole you know, call center agent helping and training the AI agent as any of your learnings around how to make that effective. Yeah. If we need to ask the agent to interact with us, we've lost. If we say the only way for this to be a good experience for you is you do, oh, at the end of your call, click uh, whether this was good or not. Like if that's our only mechanism for you know making the AI better and informing the user experience, we've lost. So we don't rely on that. Um, that being said, we also are never afraid to ask. Um, because there's always some portion of users who like to do that, who like to feel like they're contributing and building a broader ecosystem and a broader community. And uh, you know, I, I can you know give you an example. You know, we've you know, processed uh, or analyzed around 75 million calls in real time, and uh, about a million of them have some form of helpful or not helpful vote on the call. So very small percentage, right? One million out of 75 million, one out of 75. But now we have a million helpful, not helpful calls graded by users in the moment. Mm. So at a certain volume, you don't need everyone to do it and you shouldn't be expected, you know, expecting them to do it. Um, but you should also offer that option. And then the second thing is when they do it, how can you provide some sort of reward? So as an example, you know, in our uh, UI, um, an agent can use the thumbs up, thumbs down to dismiss a recommendation, to be like, yep, I used it and it's done, thumbs up, get, it, get rid of it, we're good. Or they can use it to dismiss it and say, thumbs down, don't show me that anymore. Um, so if you can be, again, clever around how you're you know, integrating the agent feedback into the experience, uh, that, is, that is really, really valuable. Mm, interesting. Uh- Sanjeev, Sanjeev has a, it's not a question, it's a statement, but I'm going to turn yeah. it into a question. Uh, shout out to San, Sanjeev. Uh, most agents are trained to follow established communication protocols. Content and process improvements and feedback is purely a function of process owners in CC ops. So I think he's kind of getting at the, the, the process owners, uh, maybe some business analysts that kick around and, and monitor how processes are being, are being kind of uh, upheld and whatnot. They kind of want the feedback so they can try and improve the business process to some degree or what have you. Um, but the agent, perhaps, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it's kind of I'm just trying to connect the dots. And, and from my experience, sometimes the agents don't really understand where this feedback is going, who's going to be looking at it, you know, and, and how it's going to affect them in their sort of job. And so I wonder if you can give those million calls where you have managed to get feedback, how is that feedback contributing to the agent experience in the end as opposed to being fed back to i don't know the process owner or something like that so what what would change as a result of those million calls Mm -hmm. that you've analyzed what would change and what would the effect be on the next call for argument's sake absolutely so i'll start by saying that uh, sanjeev is totally right like that is that is practically how organizations uh manage and uh, you know, right now the culture and the paradigm is agents are responsible for customer communication, customer communication, 
contact center is responsible for um, you know content optimization and scale. You know the the ops is responsible for the optimization and the scale. Very true. Um, I think that one of the challenges that contact centers have is that agents are detached from how their individual experience impacts the broader organization. You know, and, and that you know creates you know this high attrition environment. It creates the clock in clock out mentality. It uh, makes it harder to hire great talent. Um, and when you have great talent, you need to do more to support them and give them more benefits and you know, pushes wages up and gives, you know, requires higher wages. So the question then is, how can we make contact center agents feel the impact of their work beyond the individual customer interaction, which is hugely valuable and you know, essentially at the end of the day, you know, what they're there to do. And the answer that we have is, you know, imagine that you have a thousand agents in your organization. Um, and take your top 5%, your best 5% of agents. Well, that's 50 people in your organization. What are those 50 people doing and saying that you as the contact center leader have never thought of or heard of before? Tons of stuff. Like there are tons of things that they're doing and saying and how they interact with customers. And remember that they receive this very unique form of training, which is they, they give a form of communication and get an immediate customer response. Give a form of communication, very immediate response. The original AI is human intuition. <laughs> so they're essentially forming their own algorithms for what's working and what's not. So um, the question that is, how do you have agents contribute to the broader ecosystem? And we say, let's take those top 50 agents and find when they are not using any of the recommendations. Let's find when every, everything that Balter recommends, they say, pass, I'm not using that. And let's find out of those times, which calls had a successful outcome. So now you have a pool where they didn't use any of your established processes or practices and there was a successful outcome. Can AI, can NLP look at that call and say, here's the transcript of what was actually said we're going to serve that back to you as the organization so you can scale it out. And by the way, that's where you absolutely need a human in the loop because if you just take something that a contact agent said once and scale it across the org, uh, it might have been, you know, you better buy this or I'm going to break your knees and you don't want to scale that to a thousand other people. <laughs> um, but we can pull the agents into that experience and have them part of the brain power of the overall organization. I think that's a really important cultural trend. Interesting. We've got a question from Mike Barnes about the future, but before we get to that, yeah. um, I'm wondering if you can shed a bit of light on what it takes to get Bolto set up, because mm -hmm. anyone who's designed even a basic voice bot or, or conversational agent of some description knows how challenging it can be to, to design that conversation and to perfect it and to not that it will be perfected, but to make it highly successful enough let alone scaling that to lots of other conversations and rolling out, you know, um, a fully capable assistant of any kind is a huge undertaking. With this, although you're not designing the interactions backwards and forwards, you're still needing to have a full appreciation and understanding of what a customer is likely to be calling about. And then when you can find out what they're likely to be calling about, you then need to understand a little bit about or a lot about uh, what's the best way of helping that customer at that particular moment. So mm -hmm. for those who haven't got any kind of agent assist, but can see the value on it based on this conversation and other other places that they might have come across information from, I'm wondering if you can just explain a little bit about your process for working with an organization. What can they expect and what's involved in actually getting this kind of stuff set up? Absolutely. So to start, um, if we have an existing integration with your telephony, um, if we've done your CCAS or UCAS integration and we've built uh, over 45 different integrations with all the big players, um, our average implementation time is 16 days. And in the speech world, it's like, what? That's incredible. Um, uh, and then, of course, in you know, the plug and play world, people go, ah, why is it not ready out of the box? TurboTax is ready out of the box. So pick your poison. Um, and the way that we're able to do that is uh, we have created AI for the every person. A totally non-technical user doesn't need to know any coding, IT, syntax, they can go in and configure it on their own. Which leaves that second part of the equation, Kane. Um, how do you make sure that they're good, useful recommendations that are contextually relevant? Um, 
So two things there. One is uh, we provide great customer success. And a lot of folks, I think if you check us out online or talk to people who are Balto customers, they'll say, poof, uh, that customer success team did not leave me out to dry. They're really going to help me set this thing up right. Um, and then the second is we provide guide rails in the application that'll say, warning, warning, you just created a checklist of things you want your agents to do. None of these items in the checklist are a question. I think we know how that conversation is going to go. <laughs> so we recommend you put one question in your checklist or, oh, hey, you misspelled something here um, and the transcription is not going to be able to pick up that word. Um, so those are the sort of things we do to provide these, these guide rails to make it, it easy. And then the last thing I'll say is um, you know, one of the things that we ask is if you're trying to upload or replicate your best agents, you probably should talk to the best agents. So actually today, just a couple hours ago, um, I did a focus group with one of our customers that's going to be implementing on Friday. And I met with three of their top agents and said, what are the top three make or break scenarios you encounter on your call? And they said this, this, and this. And I said, one of the things you mentioned was pricing. Great. When pricing comes up, how do you address it? And as they're talking, I'm just typing right there into the playbook builder what they're saying. And I hit a button publish and I say, perfect. Now, hundreds or in your guys' case, soon to be thousands of people are going to all be starting to sound like you. How cool <laughs> is that? And then you can give the agents credit and say, hey, uh, this was Kane's recommendation. This really awesome question that's causing all of you to get bigger bonuses, that came from Kane. So give him a shout out on your internal Slack. Um, that's the sort of system that you need to put around this. But it's not just a technology. It's a human system. And you need to be very aware of both of those elements. Wicked. I love that. I love that. Um, good one to end on this one, I think, for Mike Barnes. Great chat. Where do you see the future of this tech going? Mike, thank you so much for the question. Um, the future is you know, back to that vision of scaling excellent conversations at the push of a button. Um, so then the first question is, what kind of conversations? You know, we're talking all about voice today, and we should. Um, uh, but we also have to recognize that chat is a very promising channel. Text is a promising channel. And I even say that a customer interacting with your website is a conversation of sorts. It's just a conversation where you said what you were going to say ahead of time, and they're kind of reacting based on whatever they're, they're seeing as they're having that conversation, so to speak. So scaling excellent conversations to push a button, where are the other types of conversations you're doing it? Um, the second is if you're able to do recommendations in real time and you're able to change behaviors, you have a very unique power of experimentation. Uh, you know, we say that the marketing world has been A-B testing since the Sears catalog in the 1800s or early 1900s. The sales and customer service world aren't A-B testing anything. Maybe IVR options, uh, maybe email subject lines, but that's it. How can we make it so when you're speaking with your customers, you're speaking with them exactly in the way they want to be spoken to? And I think data has a huge opportunity to do more on the testing side. So every sort of recommendation Balter serves up is getting compared amongst a bunch of different options and constantly optimizing your company's voice with your customers. I think those two things expanding uh, across channels and then uh, looking at ways to put more testing in the application will be the next step for this. Wow. Fantastic. Mark, this has been an absolute joy and a pleasure. I've learned a hell of a lot of stuff. Um, I think I genuinely think that your, your approach is, is absolutely unbelievable in terms of your approach to finding the right uh, use. Well, the idea and where that come from initially in the first place, I think, is is fantastic because it's come from a genuine kind of experience that you had and you noticed yourself from living in that world that there was an opportunity here for some some assistance. I think the approach to building that team and acquiring talent and smartly sticking under the radar and getting things perfected is it was is is fantastic to hear. And I, I absolutely love the the approach of trying to find 
the right conversations to be involved with and then that just leads you into the your kind of approach to, to target the right kind of industries and, and verticals and stuff like that. I think it's fantastic. And the you know, I've seen the solution. It does genuinely look fantastic. It's really easy to follow and stuff like that. And I think it's for those people who think that voice is just about Alexa and Google Assistant, I would say that have a look at Bolto because this is an absolutely fantastic example of where voice technology is being put to commendable use um so mark i really appreciate you joining us where can people um where can people find out more about bolto where can people reach out to you what's the best way of following how you're doing and, and what's bolto is up to yeah kane thank you so much to you and thank you to your awesome audience uh you can learn more uh, about us at balto.ai b-a-l-t-o.ai and please do connect me on linkedin you can find me at linkedin slash in slash balto ceo cool slash i was going to put it on here i will put it on here for those who are uh, linkedin.com slash in balto ceo there we go slash balto ceo thanks there we are how's that yeah beautiful perfect nice one wicked i really appreciate that mark that was that was absolutely fantastic uh thank you everyone for tuning in uh, over the next few weeks we have a bunch of interesting conversations coming up uh with we've got genesis coming up uh soon we have uh who else have we got coming up shortly uh, uh blooper coming up which is an interesting conversational design uh platform soundhound in a couple of weeks time we're going to be talking about voice recognition in noisy spaces and a part two all about the details of wake word detection as well so we've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up uh, if you are remotely interested in that and if you are interested in keeping up to date with what's going on and what shows are coming up when head to vux.world forward slash subscribe uh, as i said mark this is an absolute pleasure i really appreciate you joining us and thanks very much everyone for tuning in We'll see you next time.